The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. All right. Well, I'm super excited to talk this morning. Um, for, we're, we're preaching through the book of Acts. And I don't know about you, I tell Sean all the time, I love when you preach through a book. Don't you think he's so, I mean, I just think he's good at like everything, but he's so good at, the, at looking at a book of the Bible and verse by verse going through it. And then we get this picture of the whole book and we get to see, we get to review what we talked about last week and it carries over into what we're talking about this week. And so I love when he preaches through a book. I love, um, I, one thing I love is that it doesn't, like when stuff comes up, Nobody can accuse you of just like preaching the political issues of the day, right? No, I'm just preaching the next verse, right? Whatever the next verse says. Um, Practically speaking, as his wife, I know that if he goes into the office on Tuesday and he knows, like, it just takes some of the guesswork out of it. Like, we're just going to preach the next verse and we're going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us about the next verse rather than here's this whole Bible, pick something, right? And so I was super excited when I found out I got to be a part of Acts. I got to, uh, the scripture was already handed to me and I got to be a part of it. So what I want us to do is review a little bit of the passage that Sean preached last week. That was a message I was really looking forward to. It was a picture of the body of Christ functioning the way God designed it to. And so I want to read what we read last week and talk about how it goes right into what we're going to talk about this week. So Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Chapter 5, verse 1, but. Sean left us with the but this morning. But. There was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. He brought the part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell as you wished." And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. As soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Was this the price you and your husband received for your land? Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Instantly, she fell to the floor and died. 
When the young men came in, saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. So. I love I love my husband, but that's what he has left with us today. Last week, look how beautiful the church is. This week, people dropping dead uh, right after they give an offering. So, um, in all, in all seriousness, all jokes aside, this is a really hard passage of scripture to read, right? It's hard to read. It's hard to understand. Um, I listened to one of, our, one of my favorite preachers I ever get a chance to listen to. He was our pastor when we lived in Missouri. He's, such a, he's so good at like digging deep into the scripture verse by verse. And he preached a message on this and he said, it's arguably the hardest passage in Acts to read or understand or teach. So um, I'm not really going to teach it. I'm going to actually just like take the whole Bible and see if we can't uh, find some correlation between what happened in Acts 3. We're actually, the joke's on Sean because we're not going to actually be in Acts 5. We're going to go from Genesis 3 to Revelation 3, if that's okay with you. Okay. If it's not okay with you, I'm still doing it. The reason I want to look at the, the Bible as a whole is because um, this story is scary. This story is hard to understand, but I think that there's, um, a, a, there's a, a, some attitudes, some motives, and some behaviors that we see take place, a common thread all throughout Scripture. And it starts at the beginning. We know that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? There was nothing, and God created something. He created the land and the sea and the animals, and he created um, all the beautiful plants and the trees and the, all the vegetation. He created the universe, and then he's like, ah, there's just, there's just something missing. It's not quite done yet. And then it says he looks, you know, remember God is God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I picture them having this conversation going, you know what we should do? We should create something in our image, something that reflects us, something that reflects who we are so that we can have relationship with that being. So he creates man. And then he's like, ah, still not quite there. There's a little something. Oh, I know, woman. And then he adds woman into the mix. And so God creates man and woman after he creates all of creation. And he looks at it and he's like, this is good. This is really good. And the Bible says that they had um, communion with God and that he walked among the garden with them. And so remember, God created the world and then he created mankind in order to reflect his image and to have relationship with them. That was his purpose. That was why he did it. And so um, he, he wants relationship with them. What he did is he put one tree in the middle of the garden and he's like, hey guys, all of this is yours. All of it is yours. You can have anything you want. I'm going to be here. We're going to hang out. Uh, we're going to have relationship. You can have anything you want except don't eat from this tree. And have you ever been like, but why, God? Like, why did he have to put the tree? Like, I can tell you at least four times in my life I have thought, why did you put that tree that tempted Eve to sin? And they all coincided with the labor that I went through during childbirth. 
which we all know is part of the curse of sin that entered the world. So why, God, did you put this tree in the middle? Because we said God created us to be with him. God created us to have relationship with him. But I think that God didn't just want relationship with us. He wants us to choose relationship with him. And so while they had all free reign of this garden, he's like, I just want you to make one choice. I want you to choose me over this one tree. That's all you have to do. Well, we know that the serpent comes in. We know that the serpent is Satan. And the serpent comes in and he appeals to Eve's pride. He comes in and he's like, did, did God really say you're not supposed to eat from this tree? She's like, yeah, God said we would die if we ate from this tree. He's like, you aren't going to die. You aren't going to die. God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because if you eat it, then you'll be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. But you want to be like him, right? And so he appeals to her pride and she engages in conversation with the serpent and ultimately decides, I'm going to do things my own way. And she eats from the fruit and her husband Adam does too, which then causes them to have to be banned and kicked out of the Garden of Eden. This place of perfect paradise where God created them for relationship and they're living in perfect union with God and now they're removed because of their sin. So then the next, the rest of, like the majority of the rest of our Bible until Jesus comes is a picture of a creator pursuing his creation. We were created to have relationship with him. And so the next like 4,000 years before Jesus comes are God doing anything he can to maintain some form of relationship with his children. And we know that that happened through the law, that happened through sacrifices. But remember, for those 4,000 years, there was not like normal communication with God. There wasn't relationship. It was, I follow these rules uh, and I make these sacrifices, but it wasn't how God designed it. God wanted that relationship. So fast forward 4,000 years, he sends Jesus to die, his own son, he comes to the earth, he dies a cruel death, he pays the price for all the sin, he rises from the grave, and he goes back to heaven. He's like, hey, guys, just stay right here. My Holy Spirit's going to come. It's going to fill you up. You just got to wait here for my Holy Spirit. So they wait, and the Holy Spirit fills everybody in that house. It literally fills them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, God's design was perfect union. It was perfect relationship. So when the Holy Spirit came to give them power to be witnesses, this, the church is now experiencing the real relationship that God designed all along for the first time in thousands of years. We're as close as we could possibly get to being back in the Garden of Eden without being there or actually being in heaven. Like the Holy Spirit is literally in people. When Jesus died and that curtain in the temple was torn, that meant there was now access to God that had not been, he was inaccessible up until this point. 
So when we come to this point in history when Ananias and Sapphira are bringing their offering, we got to remember this is now the, the, the closest anybody has been to Jesus. Then not only are they close to him because the spirit is in him, but remember God created man to reflect his image. And they were reflecting his image without rules needing to even be in place. When it says that people were selling property and bringing the money to the church, it doesn't say they made a rule that if you sell property, they didn't need the rule. They were reflecting the image of God because he was dwelling in them. So people are bringing their offerings. Then Ananias and Sapphira, they're like, well, look at that. Barnabas sold some land and he's getting like, everybody knows who Barnabas is. He's got a nickname. I mean, if they're calling him nickname, they, like, he's got some status. Well, I want some of that. I want to get a little piece of that. And so they, they conspire. They're like, well, we have this land, which uh, the, the fact that he even brought his wife in that culture into that conversation, this land most likely like, came from her family and was maybe her dowry. So they're, they're people of affluence. They're people who have some wealth and they're deciding to sell this property. But then they have this conversation where they're like, okay, we're going to sell it. And then we're, but we, need to, we need to get our story straight. So we're going to sell it and we're going to give this amount. But if they ask you, you got to remember, we only sold it for X amount. So they bring this offering. They bring this offering and it wasn't like they just showed up with an offering, but they showed up and they were waving the dollar bills in the air going, hey, we sold this land for this much money. Look at us. And so when they brought that offering, when they brought that worship to God, it was a complete mockery of the worship and the community and the relationship with God that was happening in that time. It was, it was like the Garden of Eden all over again. God's like, I've given you everything, literally everything. You have full access to me. And they came in and they made a mockery. It was such a, a stark contrast to what was happening because while everybody else's worship and their offerings were motivated by um, just oneness with God and reflecting his image, theirs was selfish to the core. And it was just about the status that they had in the church. It wasn't about the money. Say, it's not about the money. It's not about the money. God was moving in a way like no one had ever seen before. He was moving powerfully. It said thousands were being added to their number every day. Thousands are being added. People are getting healed. And the gift that they brought was like a slap in the face, like Eve in the garden all over again. Something I want us to remember from this passage, there's, gonna be, there's two things I want us to remember from this passage, and the first one is this, motives matter. Listen, Adam and Eve didn't get kicked out of the garden because they took a bite of a piece of fruit. They were removed from the garden because they acted on the motives of their heart. And I believe at the core, the root of that motive was pride. Pride that says, 
I want to be like God. Pride that says, I'm above the rules. I can make my own decisions. They didn't get kicked out for eating the fruit. They got kicked out because their motives caused them to act in a way that was disobedient to God. In the same way, Ananias and Sapphira were, they weren't punished because they didn't give enough money. And they weren't punished because they lied about the money. I believe their consequence came because the motive of their, of their hearts, which at the root was a different kind of pride. It was a pride of wanting to be seen, wanting to be known. Pride can be a dangerous motivator, and motives matter. But we're not done yet. We see this thread all throughout the scripture, and we're going to go all the way to the back of our Bibles at Revelation chapter 3. And the book of Revelation is, um, is God is speaking to John, and he's saying, hey, I, there's some things going on. I, I want to let you know what's going to be happening in the future, but specifically, I want you to write some letters to some churches, And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14, he says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is amen, the faithful true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Let's pause just a minute. In some of my research this week, I found that this um, area, that Laodicea is the name. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Uh, But it was a pretty affluent area. So they were known for a lot of exports. Um, like textiles and fabrics, but also um, I guess they made some kind of ointment that was like exported all over the place, like eye ointment or something. So they had a lot of money, but what they didn't have was adequate water supply. And so if anybody wanted to attack them, the first thing that they needed to do was just cut off their water supply. But Laodicea, the the city was known for, um, rather than fighting back for what was theirs, they would tend to just negotiate and compromise with whoever was cutting off their water. And that kind of thinking and that kind of culture had like permeated into the church. So that's what he's, who he's writing to. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by the fire, then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes from me so you'll be able to see. God says, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Now this uh, revelation was maybe written 60 years after Jesus came and died. I don't, maybe 60 years after he came. I don't know, but it was close enough to the time that Jesus was here that the church in Laodicea would have known about the early days of the early church. 
So it'd be like, you know, they would have heard the stories and not just the stories that were like, well, back in my day, we didn't even have to buy shoes because you just needed shoes. People showed up with shoes. You know, they would hear those kinds of stories, but they would have been hearing stories that are like, back in my day, thousands were being added to the church every day. And back in my day, people were being healed and people were being delivered and people were um, selling everything they had to give to this cause of Christ. And so they knew what it was like to function the way God had designed the church to function, and yet they found themselves in indifference. So where Eve's pride looked like wanting to be like God, and Ananias and Sapphira's pride looked like wanting to be seen as something great, the church at Laodicea, it looked like indifference. Because God says, you think you're fine. You say, I'm good. I don't need anything. But your clothes are threadbare. They're nothing. You think you're good. You really have nothing. But what you need is what I have to offer. The real thing. The real gold that's refined by the fire. What you need is me. So don't keep moving forward in indifference. Because God says, listen. Your clothes aren't that great. Your stuff is not that impressive. And frankly, your indifference makes me want to throw up. See, sometimes we get in this, uh, our pride doesn't look like, hey, everybody look at me, but our pride is like, you know what? I'm just like good enough that I can just like hang out here for a little while. But God wants more for us. Do you believe that? Like God wants more for us. And what I think we need to remember when we think about the indifference of the church in Laodicea and the indifference that sometimes permeates our hearts is we need to think about the fact that God is holy. He's perfect beyond our comprehension. And our sin cannot be in the presence of God. Psalm chapter 51, God wants more for us. Psalm chapter 51 verse 6 says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. Friends, motives matter. When it comes to our worship, motives matter. You know, we like to say, um, it's the thought that counts. We joke about that at our, uh, our radio show that Matt and I are doing. We have this joke where, like, he'll say, uh, he'll say, hey, oh, I was going to make coffee for you this morning, but, like, I didn't. But, hey, it's a thought that counts. And I'll be like, yeah, I was going to get up and bake cinnamon rolls at 3 o'clock this morning, but I didn't. But, hey, it's a thought that counts. And we like to joke about that, but the truth is, it's the thoughts that count. And it's the motives that matter to God. And unfortunately, as human beings who are sinful, unfortunately, a lot of times, our motives are selfish. So we wanna cry, it's the thought that counts, and it does. And it's the thought that really counted in all of these stories. 
But Psalm 51 says, you desire truth in the inward parts. But friends, the enemy is real. And the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in all three of these situations, their motives determined their actions, but they didn't come up with those motives all on their own. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve listens and engages in communication with the serpent, who was the devil. In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, Peter confronts him and says, Why have you let Satan fill your heart? And in the church of Laodicea, they let the culture influence their thinking and actions, even when it came to their relationship with Jesus. So friends, I want us to remember that motives matter and I want us to guard our hearts. He says, you desire truth in the inward parts. It's not just because God really likes truth. But God desires truth in the inward parts because of Matthew 5 verse 8 where it says, blessed are the pure in heart for what? They will see God. He doesn't want truth in my heart because he likes truth. He wants it because he wants me to see him. And God in his holiness, Moses said, God, I just want to see you. And God says, no, you, if you see my face, you're going to die. He is real and he is perfect and he is holy. And while he's invited us into relationship with him, which is great, we got to remember He desires more for me. And it's kind of, it's hard to see God as the kind of God who would kick somebody out of the garden or that would cause somebody to drop dead or the God that would say, I just want to, you make me sick. I just want to throw up. It's hard to picture God like that, but can I just remind us, he was here first. We're the ones that walked away. He was here first before any of this stuff came into being. He gets to make the rules. And it's not that God sees us in our sin and he's like, I can't even be around that. Remember, he created us for relationship. He created us to be with him. It's not that he can't be around us. He knows that we can't be around him. So when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, when he says, I desire truth inside of you, it's because he longs for that union and that relationship. And you know, I think about if I just let my kids roam, if I just let them roll around in the dirt, never take showers, never get clean, wear the same clothes every day for their entire lives, get dirt under their fingernails, get to the point where when they walked in this room, you could smell them from a mile away. You know what? You would call the authorities on me because what kind of a parent would let their child stay in their mess when there's purity, when there's cleanliness, when there's more to be had? And that's how I see it with God. It's not about cleaning our act up. Listen, the enemy wants to, in this moment, tell you, see what I told you. You got to get your stuff, your stuff together and cleaned up before you come to see Jesus. Listen, that's a lie. 
But picture God. Picture God. Well, he is the creator. He owns everything, okay? He's got the biggest mansion you have ever seen or could comprehend. And it is pristine. It is immaculately clean. There's not a smudge on a window. There's not a speck of dirt in the entire place. He owns it all. And he goes out down the street to underneath a bridge and he grabs a, a person that's been living under the bridge for years. The kind you probably can smell from a mile away. And he says, I really want you to come be a part of my family. Listen, no strings attached. I want you to come into my home and I want you to be part of my family. And you can come in and you can stand inside the door. Matter of fact, let's just go. They walk in, they open the door. He stands inside the door and closes the door. And God says, okay, you're in. You're a part of my family. But I have a lot more for you. But you have to choose it. So if you want to come and sit at my table, I have a place for you. I have an inheritance for you. I have more than you could possibly comprehend, and I want to impart it to you. But there are a few rules. And if you'll let me, I'd like to help you get cleaned up because there are a few rules. Because God, although he chose us for relationship, he created us for that. He wants us to choose him too. In those stories that we talked about, if you picture Adam and Eve being that homeless couple that came from under the bridge and God brings them in and the way they responded to him, a holy God who was in communion with them in relationship with them, the way they responded, it'd be like walking into that house and sitting in his God's seat at the table. And Ananias and Sapphira, it'd be like if they were the ones that were brought into that family, they walked into the house and they went straight to the coat closet and put on their fur coats and got their little hats, covered up what they were wearing and went and sat at the table like nothing ever happened. And the church of Laodicea, you know, they, um, they came in and they thought, yeah, okay, yeah, rules, yeah, sure, no problem. What, we can do a little bit of that and we can clean a little bit underneath our fingernails or might even hop in the shower and get clean today, but I'm going to put those old clothes right back on and try to act like nothing ever happened. Friends, it's not about legalism. It's not about... Uh, God giving us a bunch of rules and us having to clean our act together. It's about honor. And the God of the universe, he says this in Revelation chapter three. I hope I put it in here. He says this when he's talking to the church at Laodicea. He says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Friends, the invitation still stands. I believe God in all his holiness 
in all his perfection, still wants to have a meal with you and me. I believe out of honor for who he is, that some things in my life just might need to change. Not because he likes rules, but because he created me to be in his image. And that's what we're moving towards, is perfect relationship where I reflect his image. It's really hard for me to reflect his image when my motives are selfish. So as you close your eyes, as you bow your head this morning, would you just do a couple things? Would you be so bold as to ask God to purify your heart this morning? Listen, if you have made the decision to walk with Jesus, if you've begun a relationship with him, if you said, I know that you've forgiven my sins and I know that you brought me into his family, picture yourself walking through that door a mess. But Jesus doesn't care. He invites you in. If that's you, then you are in. You are free. You are forgiven. Maybe you made that decision a minute ago and maybe you made that decision 40 years ago. But my question is this. Where are you now? Are you hanging out by the door? Are you like, I'm in. That's all I needed. I'm in. Hanging out by the door in all your mess. Listen, that was the invitation. Come and be a part of the family, and you are. But God has so much more. So if you'd be so bold, I'd love for us to ask God this question first. What is the motive of my worship? Ananias and Sapphira did not get it right. God, would you check my heart? Am I here worshiping you? Am I giving in the offering? Am I serving in the church because I want to be seen and I want to be acknowledged and I want people to think I'm something special? Is my motive of worship because I just want to have some status? Am I living my life in a way that says I can make my own rules? What is the motive of my worship? And number two, what's the condition of your heart? The Bible says guard your heart for out it flows a, a, a wellspring of life. And so if, if we could ask that question this morning, God, what is the condition of my heart? Have I engaged in a conversation with the enemy? Have I believed his lies and let them permeate my heart to the point where my actions are now flowing out of the influence of the enemy? Have I so let Satan control certain areas, meaning I have willful sin. I know that there is sin in my heart that I have not been willing to give to Jesus. 
Or am I walking out my days just sliding through, getting by, indifferent? Not recognizing the holiness of God. And like Job, or like Isaiah, abhorring myself because of it. Whether your pride looks like trying to be God, your pride looks like looking for status, or your pride looks like indifference. Friends, could we just take a moment this morning to ask God to search our hearts? As the lights are dimmed in this place, as the worship team uh, begins to come and lead us in this song, I just want to invite us to respond to what God may be saying to us today. We're not, we're not even gonna have the prayer team come forward. This is between you and Jesus. And if you want to get to the place that God wants you to be, if you want to experience the relationship that God created you for, that he sent Jesus to die for you for, if you wanna experience that relationship, then friends, sometimes some things are gonna have to change. And it's a process for the rest of our lives of God making us more and more into his image if he will let them. So I just want to open this space this morning. If you just need a minute with Jesus, if you're saying, I need God to check my heart, I know that there's some motives. I know that there's some indifference. I know that there's some sin that I need to give back to Jesus. As we sing this song, would you uh, respond however God is putting it in your heart to respond. Some of us need to come down here to the altar and we just need to spend a minute with Jesus. Whatever it is that God is speaking to you, what is the motive of my worship? What's the condition of my heart? Jesus, would you speak to us in this moment today? May we have ears to hear and hearts to respond. God, you're so... Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.